Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revolution earned their second win of the season uh, over the Jesse March led. New England Red Bulls, a Christian Pena goal, was the only offense the Revolution needed as a 1-0 scoreline secured the three points for the boys in light blue. Uh, with the victory, the Revolution leapfrogged the Red Bulls in the standings along with NYC FC and Atlanta United to claim ninth place, at least for the moment. Uh, I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me is Sean Donahue. Sean, happy Easter. How's it going? Oh, Sam, to you. Man, I, I, I love the uh, the sloppy open there with Jesse Marsh led Red Bulls copying the the PA announcer at the uh, Revolution game this weekend. Uh, sloppy opening and a sloppy game, uh, but a good three points for the Revolution. And man, what a weekend for New England sports. Celtics advancing, the Bruins going to a game seven, and the Red Sox actually sweeping a series. And the Revolution won a game, so we don't have to talk about a loss. Yeah, uh, things things coming up Boston. I mean, that rarely happens. I know, Sean, that as long-suffering Boston sports fans, we don't have a lot to celebrate. Man, how many days I think has it been since the been- championship? I mean, it's been about 90 days since our last championship. It's really tough. Um, so, but uh, with that being said, now that we have some positive things to talk about, uh, it, it, including that there's actually no sarcasm with that this week with the revolution. Um, so let's get into this victory for the New England Revolution, finally getting a win uh, against a hated rival, um, taking advantage of a uh, Red Bulls team that is in disarray right now. Uh, what was your key takeaway uh, from yesterday's win? Yeah, look, this is a you know a very good Red Bulls team last year um, that got the supporter shield. Chris Armas, I think, led led them after he took over in July in you know sixteen uh, five and four as head coach of the Red Bulls. So obviously they're a team that's that's struggling this season, but has a lot of talent. Um, you know, missing Kaku this game for that ridiculous uh, kicking the ball into the crowd and getting a red card. Um, but uh, there's you know a lot of positives to take away from this game and, and a few negatives, and we'll get into all that. But my key takeaway here is that the the news of uh, Luis Caicedo's demise was greatly exaggerated because this was a you know huge performance from him in this game, and, and seeing him back in the midfield and out of that horrendous right back spot that he performed so poorly in uh, was you know a good sight to see for Revolution fans because Caicedo I thought looked like the Caicedo of last year, um, who really did a great part in controlling this game. Uh, you know, won a lot of fouls, intercepted a lot of balls. Um, it was just a, a key figure in this Revolution midfield, covering a lot of ground. Um, it was it was vintage Luis Caicedo that we hadn't seen much this season, and part of that was probably because he came into the season hurt. Um, but that was a you know a huge signing for the Revolution that Caicedo was back. Uh, you know, it was good to see him in there with Caldwell and and really Boston the midfield like we were able to see him do a lot last year. So that was just a, a very positive sign for the Revolution. He actually won seven aerial duels. Um, not the not the tallest guy, uh, but <laughs> I thought he did a lot better in the air than uh, Big Wolf had done in the last game when he was playing that role. So just great to see Caicedo back out there in Zahibo on the bench. Yeah, I was going to say compared to Zahibo, I mean, it was a real breath, uh, a breath of fresh air. Um, and yeah, we, we kind of talked about, you know, Caicedo started the year kind of on the bench, coming off the bench a little bit. Um, we didn't really know what his role was going to be this year. And I, I do think Friedel does like Zahibo's size and strength um, compared to Luis Caicedo. But when La- Luis Caicedo is in there and when he's kind of playing the defensive midfield role, he- he's seemingly making his presence felt. That's where he kind of shines. And he was all over the field yesterday. Um, just to kind of expand on some stats, uh, he had a 69% uh, passing accuracy. Really nice day passing for him. Eight for 12 in the attacking third. Uh, he had one chance created, even from the defensive midfield spot, 
Um, seven for seven on tackles, uh, three interceptions, two clearances. Um, he had 16 ball recoveries, uh, most of which were in the uh, attacking or middle of the f- or sorry, the defensive or middle um, part of the field. And he was only dispossessed once. Um, he did have a couple of, of poor passes that were a little um off his game but I mean, who I, didn't I think, in this game <laughs> right i was gonna say the, the weather conditions you can never really take uh passing accuracy as uh, a, a huge uh impact when, when the weather is, is bad and the, the ground is a little soft so um o- overall though uh he, he really added he really helped that defensive line which i know we, we got our starters back so it was much better than the week the 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 back line we saw against atlanta uh but still when he's helping out that back line and kind of adding that extra layer of support um i mean it, it seems like it is a much more ironclad defense for the revolution yeah absolutely and getting castillo back too was huge and i thought you know, castillo and caicedo were arguably the, the two best players in the pitch for the revolution um, and, you know, we've talked about Castillo having some games where he you know, didn't necessarily, wasn't necessarily at his best. I, I thought this was perhaps his best performance for the Revolution, even though, again, you know, talking about passing percentage, he only passed at 57%, not ideal. But, um, you know, he had another immense impact on the game, just like Caicedo. He actually had 97 touches. Uh, that's a lot of touches for a left back. Um, but, yeah, you know, having the full defense back there, there's, you know, no shortage of positives to take away from the, the defensive performances in this one. Uh, you know, again, a couple times where they got stretched, I think there was late in the game where Farrell kind of, got caught ball washing a little bit and a player got in behind him and there were a couple other times where the Red Bulls had chances but you know overall there there weren't that many good chances for the Red Bulls in this one they really didn't threaten that much um and Cropper made a couple of saves but they you know they weren't that difficult the saves that he had to make no no uh, we'll we'll get into Cropper in a little bit because I have some thoughts on that and I might I might fear differently from you but um I, I thought Edgar Castillo did have a good game too while we're touching on him uh he had 11 ball recoveries twice dispossessed he seems to be at his best when he's able to press able to get up he also had a, a couple of um really good runs into the box uh and, and had some nice passing combinations um up the field so yeah really encouraging stuff from Luis Caicedo really encouraging stuff from Edgar Castillo too I, I think two guys that at the beginning of the season um, we had some high expectations for, and I think a game like that where uh, the Rebs are up midfield pressing uh, and, and you want guys that can recover the ball, um, those two are going to have their time to shine. So uh, good games from both of them. Um, I'm going to be a little bit more negative uh, for my key takeaway, and it's what a lot of people are saying, that this team is still lacking that killer instinct, uh, that killer pass, that killer shot. Um, they had nine chances created yesterday from seven different players, Um Three quote unquote big chances, according to StatZone, two shots on target. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't think either one was really good. One of them was a Bunbury header that was basically just tapped uh, to the goalkeeper. And then the other was uh, Christian Vinia's goal, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, really should have been stopped. Um, really, this game should have ended 0 0. But the revolution, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to complain too much because I think they were the better team yesterday. Um, but yeah, neither shot was particularly amazing. Um, they didn't they seem to be pushing too hard. I think Brad Friel has talked to about confidence is low confidence is wearing thin. Hopefully getting three points will kind of ease the pressure a little bit, but there was one play yesterday in about the 57th minute where it was almost a three on one or a four on one. Juan Agadello had the ball and it seemed like he didn't know what exactly he wanted to do. And he passed it to Fugundes who had a chance to shoot. But again, he, he just, he was looking for that perfect. Agadello was looking for the perfect pass. Fagundes was looking for the perfect shot and neither one came. And, and as a result, Fagundes, you know, just blasted it over the bar. Um, you know, both players seem to be pushing a little bit. Really, everyone on this team seems to be pushing a little bit. And, um, yeah, it, it seems to be just kind of a trend that these guys, 
even though they're having the ball in the attacking third, even though they are near the top in um, possession within the box, possession within the attacking third, um, passes within the attacking third, they're not getting the chances that they need to be getting. Yeah, and I think this was a rare game where I think the Rebels might have even had more possession in the attacking third than the Revolution did. Um, it, it's always funny when the Revolution and Rebels play because the, the two of them, you know, like I've said before, the Rebels played the style and did it very well last year, not so well this year, that it seemed like Frito really wanted the Revs to play last year. Um, and every time the Revolution and the Rebels play, it's, it's not a very entertaining match or at least not very high-quality football on the pitch um, because, they're, you know, they're two teams that just try to disrupt disrupt the other teams the revolution did a better job of it than the rebels in this game um but yeah again the revolution only managed nine shots in total in this one you know two shots on target um it was not an impressive offensive performance bunbury the, the chance that he had you gotta put away if you're a striker fagundes with the perfect pass perfect cross to, to bunbury off that kind of short corner kick and and bunbury you know wide open at the back post weakly heads it right to the goalkeeper you know if you're a striker on mls you have to put that chance away that was you know absolutely terrible and you know we've hit on bunbury a lot for his poor finishing this season uh, you know again i think it's a sign of poor confidence that he has this year because he hasn't scored yet um but that was just awful and you know the revolution aren't going to get many chances that good this year so to see him miss that one uh was, was terrible and then the fagundes chance you mentioned too um you know it was positive that fagundes you know, got some good places in this game but you know he needs to do a lot better with that and i think last year where his confidence was he would have done a lot better with that um so yeah the, the offensive struggles are still there like you said the pinea goal uh, that should have been saved and the, the revolution you know i mentioned the rebels didn't have that many good chances you know, the revolution had a few good chances but the finishing was so terrible that they ended up not being good chances yeah it, well and you mentioned bunbury too i, I bunbury is not th- this bad you know what i mean i mean bunbury is no. not this bad of a player we saw how good he was at the first half of last season and i know his season kind of tampered off but I, mean, never... I mean i don't think he's that good either but he's also not this bad yeah, I mean, I don't think he's an MLS all-star, but he finished chances last year. This year, he he's in his own head. And, I mean, I, I, I know we have kind of criticized him all season long. And, I mean, certainly with the, the header yesterday at the back post, uh, I, I still feel we're going to be critical and people are going to be critical of him. But he's not that bad. And I, I don't know what it's going to take. I, I think once he scores one goal, he's, we're going to see him do a lot better. Uh, I, I think we're going to see him put some shots on goal. But... I mean, we talk about that shot he had in Columbus where it went out for a throw in. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I don't want to say it's almost as bad because the Columbus chance was really terrible. But, um, but, but yeah, this one was a sitter. He, he's blasting shots over the bar, over the bar, over the bar. And then, yeah, you, you get a really, really nice shot within the six yard box and you just kind of, you know, gently place it down uh, right into the arms of the keeper. Um, really, really I don't know, bad stuff. I, I also have another criticism of Diego Fagundes, too, because we talked about the chance he had in the 57th minute um, where Agudelo uh, uh, led, led him uh, into the box and he just didn't take the shot. And, and after a few seconds, of, he, he almost panicked and shot over the bar. Um, he had another chance in the 23rd minute where Agudelo was coming uh, into the box. He crossed it. It was a really nice cross. Fagundes uh, wide open in the box, tried to head it on the net. It might not have gone in. It might not have been a goal, but he almost whiffed on the header. It kind of skimmed off of his head and, and just kind of, you know, rolled to the other side of the box. Um, so Diego Fagundes, too, another guy that is not doing great. I think Brad Feldman said something along the lines of they're cl- they're clutching the stick too tight. And um, man, are they? It, it's not going well for the offense right now, which is crazy, too, because we, we said coming into the season, they have so many weapons. This is going to be a team that is going to be, be solid on offense and kind of struggle defensively. And it's kind of almost been the reverse. I, I feel the defense has been a lot more consistent than the 
offense. Yeah, and, and this game in particular, the, the Revolution got the type of offensive chances that they you know they thrive on. There were a lot of those turnovers that led to to quick chances, like that Fagunde shot that you mentioned where he missed. Um, you know, like the goal that they scored on. Um, you know, the, where the finishing just hasn't been good enough. So you know, there's still there was nothing in this game that told me they figured out how to create things. You know, from that offensive possession, um, it was still the chances that they were creating for, were for the most part you know off of set pieces or off of you know quick counterattack turnovers, which we you know. We know from last year was their bread and butter, um, but you know even then the the finishing was terrible. Uh, so there are some positives to take away from this game. Certainly, I thought this was one of their better defensive performances. But the Red Bulls left a lot of holes defensively, and, and the fact that the Revolution managed to turn that into as few good chances as they did, um, I, I think is troubling. Yep, yep. Uh, Revolution nine shots total on on the day, uh, two on target, six off target, one blocked. Compare that to the Red Bulls, who actually had thirteen shots. They had five on target three off target and five blocked. So just in terms of finishing, um, the Revs still struggling. Um, Sean, let's move on to uh, kind of the, the weekly discussion of the lineup, another kind of interesting lineup that we had uh, a lot of rotation with uh, Brad Friedel's lineup coming into this week. There was a loss, so obviously there is some uh, some some mix-up in the lineup. Uh, Dewan Jones out of the 18, which I think is really surprising because we, we were kind of impressed with what Dewan Jones had been doing. Uh, he obviously had his offside goal taken back last week but he, he kind of showed us some glimpses here and there that we were impressed with uh, Zahibo, Pania, uh Caicedo 2 and uh, Brandon by all moved to the bench uh, meanwhile Fagundes, Bunbury, Agadello, Mancien and Castillo, Mancien and Castillo obviously returning from suspension and injury uh, respectively they are all into the lineup um, also interesting notes out of the 18 Renex Firmino Buchanan uh, into the 18 Antonio De La Mea returning from injury and Brian Wright who got called up from Birmingham um, Sean any of those lineups changes surprise you uh any, any interest any thoughts on you know this lineup and did anything really surprise you here yeah so honestly this is close to what i would want you know if i if i was laying out the ideal revs lineup before the season started before we know what we know this year um this was pretty close to the 11 that i would have put out there with the exception of you know what we've seen from juan aguadelo i think he would have started pinea over him what was more surprising as, as far as the 11 goes was kind of the formation that they went out there with um where it was kind of fagundes playing as a second striker alongside bunbury and aguadelo more out in the wing um and kind of more of a you know sort of a diamond midfield ish thing that they they went out in this game um and you know it, it kind kind of worked against the Red Bulls. I'm not sure it's going to work in every game. Um, but, you know, my biggest surprise, again, was that Aguadella was back out in the lineup because I don't think that he's necessarily uh, earned more playing time, at least more starts with, with the way he's been playing this season. Um, as far as the bench goes, I was, you know, pretty shocked that Renix wasn't back out on the bench this, this week. Um, obviously very shocked about, you know, Dewan Jones not being out there. Um, I think Dewan Jones, you know, I, I understand why he didn't start this game. I think Dewan Jones has a lot of positive characteristics, but still, um, I would say, is, is somewhat raw. So I don't have a big issue with him not necessarily starting this one, but I was surprised he wasn't on the bench and you know, I'm trying to look to make sure he wasn't injured um, and <laughs> we didn't miss that or something, but uh, that was you know, a bit surprising to me. Um, but you know, again, Renick's not being there is, was kind of shocking because it seemed like him, uh, you know, when he's been healthy, he's been one of the, the Revs' dangerous players off the bench. Yeah, and, and to be fair to Justin Rennix, he was hurt a few weeks ago, uh, and he was just moved into the 18 last week. So I think something with him might be a little precautionary, um, you know, and, and they do have Dewan Jones and Brandon By to kind of fill in that right midfield spot. So potentially, I, I think that might be a they're looking out for him. They want to keep him healthy. Uh, so I, I'm not totally 
stunned by Renix. I think I'd obviously like to see more Justin Renix since I do think he is a cornerstone for the revolution in the future, but I understand why he was um, kind of held out. Um, I was Here, Here's uh, my question for you, though. Is there ahead. a scenario yep. in which both Juan Fernando Caicedo and Brian Wright would have come into this game? So you actually are taking my next point. I, I don't see one either. And I, I was going to say Dwan Jones being out of the 18 kind of surprised me too. But I, I think that just kind of speaks that they really like Brandon by kind of playing that right midfield role. And, you know, we've seen Brandon by up there and we've been impressed with him too. So I, I think Jones is just a, you know, victim of, you know, playing the same position as Brandon by and, and to a, to a degree, Justin Renex is too. Um, that does bring up the question. Why is Brian Wright and Caicedo too both starting? Um, I'm not totally sure. My only guess would be that, you know, you could push, Bunbury to the right wing or Fagundes to a central midfield or left wing role. Um, and you can put two strikers up top. You could, you could in theory play Caicedo too and Brian Wright up top and move Fagundes and Bunbury elsewhere in the formation. So that, that's my thinking to why that happened. Um, so it's not totally out of the realm of possibility, the likelihood of that happening. I'm not so sure. Um, but especially too, when you're playing Christian Pania as kind of a center forward kind of up top type player, which it seemed like they were doing yesterday as well. So you have three guys that can all play up top. Why do you need all three of them? Um, that, that is an interesting question. Um, I, I will also say, too, we'll get into Brian Wright's call up soon, but um, I, I feel like him getting called up, I was surprised that Bunbury and Fagundes were starting up top with Brian Wright moving back to New England. I, I kind of assumed that he was getting minutes down in Birmingham. Him getting called up meant that he was maybe the first sub to come off, but instead they put two guys up top. And uh, he was neither one of them. So I, I was a little surprised by that as well. Well, yeah. And, they, and like you said, then they brought Pania on it up top as well. So it was, it was weird. They had, you know, four, four actual strikers in the 18. And then they played two other midfielders slash forwards as strikers in the, in the, in the lineup as well, whether it was starting or off the bench. Um, so, yeah, it was just, you know, the way the game played out, it was a bit unusual how that 18 was constructed, given who else uh, was presumably available to be on the bench. Um, but, you know, it worked out and they got the win. Uh, but, you know, had certain injuries hit in different areas, I'm not sure they were in the best position to, to, to fill every spot. Right, right. I will say, too, and just because you touched on Juan Agadello um, in the comment before, I, I think he's actually – he might be a right midfielder. I was impressed with him. He, he does seem to um, – you know, have some good ball control skills. He seems to be adapting to that kind of right flank, right wing, right midfield position. I know he played there last year and we didn't really like it. But after seeing him play up top and, and seeing him play kind of on the wing, uh, he seems to be a lot more comfortable there. I know it didn't really um, translate to any goals or assists yesterday, but he did set up two chances yesterday and both of them could have been goals, uh, really. So maybe that is his new position from now on. Maybe we're not going to see him up top. I, I think that's a realization that has slowly been dawning on me week after week. Yeah, and my thoughts with Agudelo too, and this one where I, it was one of those performances where you saw moments where you're like, this is why Juan Agudelo is on this team. This is why he's you know getting minutes. And then there were plenty of other moments too where you were back to, you know, why is he still out in the pitch? Um, you know, he's playing too slow. He's you know turning the ball over. I think he had 52% passing, which even in a bad passing night was pretty terrible. Um, but yeah, you know, he had he had a couple of key passes. I I thought like you mentioned earlier the the key pass on the Fagundes chance. Um, actually, you know, he should have done better with. I thought Agudelo you know waited too long on that. 
that one. And there were other chances offensively where, you know, he maybe took one touch too many and turned the ball over. Um, so, again, it was one of those games where he had those moments um, where you could understand, you know, the potential and what you would hope to see from Aguadelo all the time. Um, but there was just as many moments where you were, you know, left again questioning why it was out in the pitch, at least in my mind. Yeah, uh, three uh, three tackles, two interceptions, seven ball recoveries, dispossessed three times. So so nothing to scoff at. Attacking third, he was eight for thirteen in passing, uh, but in the middle third, he was five for eleven. So a real Jacqueline and Hyde performance. And from four, four unsuccessful touches. Four unsuccessful touches, and as you said, fifty four percent pass accuracy. Um, not not ideal. Um, he he's kind of got that. <laughs> untapped potential that we've been talking about for years and years and years. So, um, but, but I, I, as I say, I, I maybe it's just, uh, something that over time he's going to adjust to and thrive more. It seems like they're going to find ways to put him in the lineup. And I, I, as time goes on, I think he might be a right midfielder now, as opposed to, uh, being a striker. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes forward. I, I know Brad um, Friedel likes to say that, you know, that contracts don't matter. But I feel like if that the revolution re-signed Aguadella for $605,000, um, there's a lot of egg on people's faces if he doesn't get minutes this year um, because they had the opportunity to move on from him and they didn't. They you know, brought him back at $605,000 from what we've seen. Um, so, so to the extent that, you know, Friedel has made a point that he doesn't care about contracts and I think – his decisions have, you know, sometimes backed that up. Um, in Aguadella's case, in particular, uh, you know, they've had a long look at him and they re-signed him. So I think in his case, you know, the fact that they gave him a big contract means he's going to get a lot of looks. Yes, you could say that too. But uh, I mean, to, and I would say that in the case of Wilfred Zahibo, that is a, also another case where they they keep playing him, hoping that he turns out fine. But I I would also say that that's not a universally uh, applied. Uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but you know, Christian Pena has moved to the bench on off. And I feel like that's a guy that they just purchased. Um, Luis Caicedo has moved around. Um, uh, Gabriel Somi, I mean, he is in the doghouse as far down as you can go. So there are some moves that they've made that I think they've kind of eaten the sunk cost. The, the um, only they, difference I'd say there is that in the case of Caicedo and Pena, they both played so well that you almost had to resign him. In the case of Somi, they screwed up and gave him two years guaranteed. So they didn't really have much of an option. In the case of Aguadelo, they, you know, he didn't, play particularly well last year and they went out and re-signed him for more money correct no no you very good points very good points all the way around um speaking of christian pania um let's talk about his performance really quickly the goal scorer uh, of the game his first goal of the season um huge relief to kind of everyone uh involved uh and and also, he kind of, he he really filled the super sub role really well. He came off with a lot of energy. He seemed like he uh, really was looking for that goal. So, um, Sean, any thoughts on Christian Pena's performance yesterday? And also, I guess I should ask, is he starting next week? Yeah, there, there's a, a lot that goes into this. And I thought Pania was phenomenal off the bench. And, you know, he scored that goal that they needed. Um, I don't know that that means that he's back necessarily. Um, but I, I did think he looked really good out there and, you know, 20 minutes um the other thing is with him playing as kind of that that center forward the the problem that we were seeing earlier in the season which was him and castillo getting in each other's way and also with you know again talking about kind of the, the diamond formation where caldwell was kind of sorted out on the left um that you know when i talked about castillo earlier that really led to castillo i think having a much better game than he usually had because he had that space to roam on the left flank um and you know when pinia came on pinia didn't get in his way pinia was playing down the middle um so 
Yeah, I do think Panetta is going to get more minutes going forward. I don't know if he's necessarily going to start the next game. I think he probably should. Um, but if you're going to play a, a situation where you have two strikers up top, um, and you know whether one of those is Bunbury, one of those is Agudelo, one of those is Caicedo, um, you know I think you're probably in pretty good shape if Panetta is your your second striker. Uh, I thought he looked good in that position, and I think he's a better option there than than Fagundes has proven to be. Um, so if this is a formation the Revolution are going to use going forward, then yes, I do think Panetta is going to be starting over Fagundes. If the Revolution are going to go back to the you know four two three one. Um, I'm less certain that Panilla is going to be back out starting because I, I do think he's gotten in Castillo's way in the, the season. And, you know, the, again, the fact that he wasn't out there in that role this game, um, you know, helped Castillo have a much better game. Well, and not only that, I don't know if you caught this yesterday, Sean, but at the at, at full time, uh, when they're kind of panning around, showing all the players talking after the game, the last image uh, on the Revs broadcast, I'm pretty sure it was the last image, Christian Panilla and Edgar Castillo are talking and they are arguing. <laughs> I don't know if you caught this. They look like they are arguing about Pania not coming and, and making a cut. I think it was in the around the 85th minute. I don't have the 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 notes in front of me. But there was a play where Edgar Castillo kind of had the ball kind of in the corner. He, he didn't really know what to do, and he, he kind of passed it, and there was no one there. And I think he must have been looking for Christian Pania to come over, and he, he kind of stuck his arms out like, where where are you? Uh, and, and, and after the game, they, they were having an argument. I think it was over that play, but you know, full time goes, you win this game, and they clearly weren't happy with each other. So the relationship between those two, the working relationship between those two, still seemed to be hitting some rough patches and I, I am glad you said what you said about Castillo having a good game with Christian Pena coming off the bench and playing up top I, I think that was a really really big part of it Castillo seemed to match up perfectly uh, or maybe not perfectly because there was one player where Caldwell led him uh, into the box and Castillo had his head turned the wrong way and didn't see the pass but still it was a very good connection between Castillo and Caldwell Castillo seemed to be getting into uh, more dangerous positions with the ball so I, I think you're you're spot on with that assessment about Christian Pena um, I would expect to see him either come off the bench similar to he did how he did uh, this week, kind of maybe more or maybe a little sooner, maybe in the 55th, 60th minute uh, and play kind of a striker position or we'll see him start as one of the two strikers next week. Yeah, no, I think I think that's the most likely outcome based on what we saw in this game, for sure. Um, you know, he definitely has earned more minutes. But again, you know, he hasn't when they've played a four, two, three, one, um, he hasn't shown himself to be a very, you know, effective player in that formation this year with Castillo behind him. So if, if this is the formation going forward, I think there's more opportunities for him to play. If it's not, um, then maybe he's back on the bench and you know coming off as a late sub. Let's talk about the other sub, uh, Caicedo 2. Uh, we've had some interesting thoughts about him. Uh, obviously, he, he's yet to find the back of the net, yet to find a shot on goal, too. Uh, what were your thoughts of his performance yesterday? He did have the uh, lone assist in the game, Sean. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't very impressed with what he was doing until he had that assist. I, you know, we talk so much about the, the running style of his that gets commented on the broadcast so much. It was on full display in this game. There were a few times where he had some space and he took, you know, two or three touches and ran into traffic and turned the ball over. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, this again, on that assist that he had, he also had acres of space and I, I'm not really sure if he could have messed it up or it would have been, you know, pretty terrible. Um, but yeah, he, you know, he had the game winning assist, so you, you can't fault him on that one. But um, and he had a few moments in this game where he looked good, but he also had a lot of moments where you were wondering, what is he doing? You know, why is he taking three touches? Um, you know, even if his first touch is okay, his, his third touch is often pretty terrible. Uh, so I'm still not really sure what to make of Juan Caicedo. I think the assist probably earns him, you know, some more minutes going forward. Um, but you know, I didn't think it was a particularly great performance from him overall. 
Yeah, three for seven passing. He received 12 passes, completed three passes. Um, now, one of those three passes was a you know, nicely weighted assist uh, to a, a streaking Christian Pena. So uh, you do have to give him some credit. He seems like another guy who you can see the flashes of potential. You can see why they brought him in. Um, you wonder if they can put it together. Um, we do have a question about uh, Caicedo, too, a little bit later. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more well, about and, him. And worth noting, he was dispossessed twice and had two unsu- unsuccessful touches. And he was only on the field for half an hour. Yes. Yes, yes. Not exactly what you'd like to see. Um, he, 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 he is a, uh, I can't, I can't say the name, but we had a, play, a, a, a teammate on our intramural soccer team who had a totally brutal touch that every time you, you kick the ball to him, he seemingly just booted it into a corner and he wasn't intending to. Um, and, and that is a person that we have, uh, compared to, uh, Caicedo to not exactly, uh, the best feat, uh, on Juan Fernando Caicedo. Um, Sean, before we get into listener questions, I want to talk about the back line. Uh, the A team is back this week. I want to hear uh, your assessment of the back line uh, and how well they did pitching their first shutout uh, of the season. I also, uh, while we're on it, want to hear your thoughts on Cody Cropper. Yeah, so Cody Cropper, again, had some of those mistakes that we've seen in some of these games where he's come out of his box and hasn't won the ball. Um, he got bailed out by a Mancian block. There were, you know, there were a couple other times where he looked shaky out there. He made the saves he needed to make. He got, he got the first shot out of the season. Um, you know, a couple of the shots that he had to save were you know, right at him, but were still hard-hit shots, and he you know, kept, the, kept them and, and gobbled up the rebounds. Um, but yeah, there's still some shakiness there. I don't think, again, he was you know, poor enough to, to lose the starting spot. And certainly after a shutout, it's hard to take the starting spot away. Um, but that's, you know, that's my thoughts on Cody Cropper. As far as the rest of the back line, um, like I said, I thought Casillo had a really good game. Um, there was maybe one play where he didn't close down his man fast enough and it led to a, you know, Red Bull shot. Uh, I thought Andrew Fowle, you know, had a decent game. Um, you know, he was obviously the best guy on the pitch for the revolution last week, um, and a, and a poor performance in this game, you know, it was back to right back. Um, uh, his passing wasn't the best, like we said, for a lot of other players as well. Um, and there was, you know, one or two times where he, you know, got beat, beaten behind on, on balls, uh, to his man where he, you know, wasn't, wasn't fast enough to, to track it down. Um, you know, Mancien, I thought was, was decent in this game. You had that big block. Um, Andy Baba had a good block, you know, both of them, their passing wasn't as good as you'd like, but again, it was difficult situations. Uh, you know, a lot of long balls from Andy Baba to, to, to clear his line a bit. Um, but you know, overall it was one of the Rev's best performances this, this season. Um, even if, you know, none of the individuals stood out too much except for Castillo, uh, you know, all of them were solid enough and Andy Baba and Mancien perhaps, you know, as a, as a pairing together had their, their best game as a pair. Um, so that, you know, you can't have too many complaints, even if there are a few moments here and there where you can pick a part where the defense wasn't as good as it should have been and kind of, you know, led to, to reminiscing about the times where they've given up sloppy goals. Yeah, and I will say, too, uh, I, I agree with everything you said. I did want to touch about Andrew Farrell because I, th- I think he did uh, a little bit better uh, than you give him credit for. Uh, he had six interceptions, uh, two tackles. His passing accuracy was off the charts bad, 51%. Um, but I will say that uh, he was 25 for 49 overall. He was 5 for 16 in the attacking third, 5 for 6 in the defensive third, which is which are high percentage passes, and then uh, 15 for 27 in the middle third. So I, I think he, he, you know, the attacking third is what's bringing that down. Um, and I do think it is a positive that he's – getting up uh, he's getting into some uh, good positions um there's actually a couple plays where uh carles gil uh led him into the box and he had a couple chances one sh- he had a, a shot that was totally scuffed uh some people thought it was uh, i think paul mariner might have said it might have been a uh 
a low cross that was, uh, you know, just botched altogether. Um, but uh, Andrew Farrell did have a nice chance in the first half where uh, it looked like he was going for Teal Bunbury. And he was just a little bit uh, out in front. Uh, but those are kind of the plays that you're you're looking for and uh, are trying to get the offensive started. So, um, you know, if uh, if uh, Till Bunbury was one more step ahead, uh, he might have been able to bury that. So I, I do think Andrew Farrell had a, a second uh, good game uh, for the second straight week. Um, Cody Cropper, too, uh, you, you kind of touched upon his errors. Um, the big one was the play where he comes out for the ball and Bradley Wright Phillips, uh, you know, controls it and uh, shoots at an empty net and Mancien blocks it away to uh, keep the shutout alive. Um, I think that was by far the most confusing confusing uh, play of the, the, the game for Cropper. He did have another play where he was a third of the way out of goal and uh, kind of booted it back in the midfield. Um, now, luckily, they recovered from that. There was no, you know, long shot from the Red Bulls. But there were a couple of confusing moments where you're wondering what Cody Cropper was doing. It didn't end up um, hurting the team. Uh, he also collided with Michael Bancian a couple times. Um, so I don't know if communication is an issue. But um, overall, they weren't bar- burned on it. Um, Cody Cropper also had a, a few nice saves, five saves. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't complain too much. I think he's got the uh, starting job next week as well. Um, just hopefully uh, none of those confusing moments uh, burn them next week. So, yeah, the, the only uh, thing I'll, the only thing I'll say about Farrell is I think it kind of left a, a taste. In the, the the lasting impression for me was was tainted a bit by the you know the eighty fourth minute where um, you know the, the rebels had a counterattack and he had his man covered but kind of left him for a minute to kind of cheat inside and and you know gave a, a good chance to the rebels. I think it was. Um, Andres even or Ivan for um, the Red Bulls that had a chance late in the game, uh, where you know Farrell had him covered and, and for whatever reason cut inside and tried to you know, maybe cut out the pass and, and left himself in a worse position than he could have been in given who else was available for the Revolution's defense to kind of step forward there. Um, but you know maybe I'm just being too harsh based on that being kind of at the end of the game and almost being an equalizer. <laughs> nope, very good point. Very, very. As I say, I, I'm a little bit more uh, optimistic on his performance than you, but that's totally fine. Um, you want to hop over to listener questions, Sean? Now's as good time <clears> some, as any. <laughs> some of these, some of these, we've kind of addressed already, so we'll we'll go through them. But uh, John Trainer asks us, "What do you guys make of Diego's performance? Are you encouraged that he was more involved in the Revs attack, or are you mostly frustrated by his missed chances?" And and also I will add on to this. Uh, Marcos Aguilar asks us what's wrong with Teal and Diego. So kind of in the same uh, realm, I figure we'll ask them both at the same time. Yeah, I think with Diego, it's a little bit of both. Um, I, you know, he was getting himself involved. He was creating chances. He was getting himself in, in in good positions, but he wasn't finishing. And you know, just like we talked about with Teal, lack of confidence when it comes to finishing, I think is affecting Diego as well. Um, I don't think it in, in Diego's case. I I don't think it helped that he would be you know was the man last year and was the number ten for a good chunk of the season. And Friedel put so much faith in him and talked him up so much. And then this went into this season and his his role was far from guaranteed. He wasn't even you know guaranteed minutes off the bench. Um, that can't be good for a guy's confidence, especially you know a guy like Diego that you know allegedly had interest um, in, in South America in the off season, um, and I, I think that's impacting his finishing. Um, I don't know what you do to fix that, but you know strikers are often creatures of, of confidence. If the confidence isn't there, they're not going to finish, um, and I think that is impacting Diego right now. Uh, but you know, with that said, I do think it's a bit encouraging that he was involved more in the, in the attack, and I think if the Revolution can keep getting him the ball at some point, he'll, he'll find his way on track and, and 
uh, put some in the back of the net. Um, as far as Teal's going, you know, you mentioned it earlier that he's not this bad. Uh, you know, last year he had a really hot streak to start the season. I think that that was, you know, perhaps you know, raise expectations above what, what you should actually expect from him. He's not a guy that generally gets double digits in goals. Um, and I think expecting that out of him is, is unrealistic, you know, outside of last year. Um, with that said, he should be a lot better than he is. And his finishing has been absolutely terrible this season. Um, you know, I think it goes on confidence on him as well. Um, but at the same time, he's certainly gotten plenty of chances from Brad Friedel. So it, it's not a case of, you know, him being not confident because his spot in the lineup has been taken away. Um, you know, so there's, you know, a lot of that onus falls on Teal to, to get on track and, and find a way to put it in the back of the net. You know, again, I don't think Teal can be your everyday out-and-out striker as a successful MLS team, um, certainly not as a contender, uh, but he should be better than this, and he should be fine in the back of the net with the chance he's put away. Um, but but still, I think the Revolution needs somebody better than him up top to be their you know, out-and-out number nine. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think Diego, you know, he was the man last year. He was instrumental to this offense. And now after a long offseason of, you know, rumors of South America, uh, you know, not knowing where you're going to be after this season, um, you know, now you're fighting for minutes. Uh, now you're moving around the field. He doesn't really seem to have a set position. Uh, and I think there's a lot of frustration with him. So um, in terms of am I encouraged he's involved in the Revs attack? Not really, because you expect him to be involved in the Revs attack. Uh, I, I I am frustrated with his kind of chances, as he said, um, and I, I do think it's weighing down on him confidence-wise. I, I am hoping that he finds the back of the net or has an assist or something like that that gets that confidence back, because I think Diego Fagundes um, still is a really valuable player to this team. Uh, we just need him to match that potential. Um, Teal Bunbury, too, on the same realm, as you said. I think the confidence just is not there right now. Um, I don't know if he's doing something you know technically wrong or mechanically wrong. Um, he just is doing the exact opposite of what we saw last year. And I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if you give him a week off. I don't know if you keep him out there and just wait him for him to find the back of the net. Uh, I really am not sure what exactly you do. Um, Sean, I'll pitch an idea. It's very unlikely to happen, but I just want you to, to hear me out and, and think of this as an, I want confirmation that this isn't a totally ludicrous idea. Send Teal Bunbury to Birmingham for two weeks. If he scores, just think of it as a, like a rehab assignment. Because because I, I think he is just so in his head right now, he's holding himself back. If he got almost like a, a you know USL game where he had a couple shots on target and he was a little bit more relaxed, I, I think it would do him good. Any any Is that totally wrong? See, I think that's actually not a bad idea. I think it will never happen, and I think you probably think it will never happen too. But you I don't take think it's it a bad a motion, idea. Which would be counterproductive. Yeah. But I think you call up Brian Wright, you send Teal down. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential in that where Teal just kind of clears his head and gets a goal or two in there. Well, look, you've given him you know 600 minutes so far this season to to find his footing, and he still hasn't found it. Um, and you know, as a team that is. You know, even with this win, very much on the outside of the playoff picture and very much in, in trouble even early on in the season, you know, you can't really afford to keep giving a guy minutes um, that hasn't found his form. Uh, you know, so maybe he does need to go down and play at a lower level to find his form. And I don't think that's a you know ludicrous idea. Um, with that said, it's not something that we've seen the revolution do. And it's not something that we've seen too many teams in MLS do with, with, with that said though, we have seen Kellen Rowe get some minutes at, 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 you know, Kansas city's B team to, to get in form. Um, so it's not completely unheard of. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I could do Teal Bunbury good. Cause you know, if he's not finding the back of the net with the revolution, his confidence doesn't seem to be getting fixed. It seems to be, you know, if anything getting worse, cause his, his shots the past two games have just been getting worse. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's a horrible idea. And another example too, 
and, and maybe this guy can go talk to Teal about it and say this this was a little bit beneficial. But when Charlie Davies was down with the Philadelphia Union and buried under you know buried under three or four guys on the bench, he wasn't starting over CJ Sapong. They sent him to their uh, USL affiliate upstate, and he got a couple of goals and you know up at USL. So. I, I I think there's a little bit of potential there. I, I think it might do him some good just to score a goal and and kind of get that feeling of, yep, I can do it. Because I, I think right now, you know, he sees that cross from Diego coming in. I mean, I, I think he's just, you know, got the lights in his eyes. And, and, and I don't know. It, he's a much better player. He's a much, much better player than what we've seen so far this but, season. But here's so. a, you know, here's another scenario. <laughs> we've said it a million times where how much better off would the Revolution be if they had an affiliate that was in Providence or right around here where they could send him to so he could continue yep. to train with the first team. And then, you know, here you go. We're giving you a week off from first team playing. Play down at this level and, and find your scoring touch again. You know, that would be a much better scenario than go down to Birmingham and, you know, presumably train with them for a week and or two weeks and, and find your scoring touch if you could you know, stay around with the first team. But go and get some minutes that way. Um, you know, we we can only hit on that so many times, but it's you know, yet another scenario where it would be a lot better off if the Revolution had a local affiliate uh, to send somebody to. Would it be in the case of Teal Bunbury? Do you think it would be better to have a team like Hartford down the road that you could send them to, or would it almost be beneficial to send them to Birmingham to uh, play with Jay Heaps and, and Tommy Stone, who obviously were the coaching staff here a couple of years ago? Look, if if Hartford wasn't as terrible as they are right now, and I think they're not creating many scoring chances, that might actually be counterproductive for for Teal to go there because of the the way that team is performing. Um, I would say Hartford's a better situation, uh, but given that, you know, maybe it probably makes more sense to send him to Birmingham just because he needs to get somewhere where he's going to get chances. And I'm not sure that even in Hartford he's going to get many chances based on uh, how unfortunately bad that team's been. He'll get fewer chances there than he does at Foxborough. He, he might. <laughs> um, getting back to Diego, though, James Downing says, uh, I'd like it if you guys commented on Diego Fagundes surpassing Taylor Twelman in minutes played for the Revs. That's insane to me. Sean? I mean, it makes me feel old. Because <laughs> I, I, I was there for all of Twelman's career covering the team, and um, I, I, I can't believe how long ago it's been since he last played. Um, and I also can't believe how many minutes Diego's had when he you know, came into the team as a, as a young teenager. And the fact that he's surpassed Twelman now is just is, is insane to me as well. Um, but yeah, it, my, my first, my first thought on that is it just makes me feel old. Yeah. And uh, well, and obviously that makes you feel sad that you're, you're getting old. Um, but I also think too, it uh, speaks to, you know, how tragically cut short Taylor Twelman's career ended. Um, you know, it, it, it's really a shame that, you know, he probably would have been playing for the New England Revolution uh, for many, many more years if he didn't suffer uh, all the concussion injuries he had. So um, in, in a way, I, I feel that that's very kind of tragic. Um, no offense to Diego Fagundes. I mean, he's been here you know, basically a decade. Uh, so really the, the number when you think about it or, or when that stat really doesn't, you know, surprise you too much when you, when you put some thought behind it. But, um, yeah, I, I feel it's kind of sad in uh, both that way and also – that we're getting old. So could, you, could, you more so than me, Sean, because you were covering the team uh, back in the day. So yeah. could, could you bring Taylor in to teach Taylor Bunbury how to shoot again? <laughs> uh, hey, you know what? Just a thought. Someday, I, I, this is another hot take. I'll drop mid episode. I am. I, I. I would put money that at some point, not not in the near future, Taylor Twelman is going to manage the Revs. Uh, so I, I'm just going to throw that hot take out there. It might not be for 15 years. But I, I, I think he's going to try his hand in managing at one point, and we're going to rotate so many coaches so many times that you know he's got to be on a short list someday. So, I mean, he's a, a former player with little coaching experience, so it seems like the the usual mo for the revolution. 
<clears throat> Damn it, Sean. Um, James Downing also asks us, uh, why won't JFC just shoot? Uh, in his pre-Revs career, was he used as a second striker slash hold-up guy only? Um, so I actually, before you answer, Sean, uh, I, I actually went back and kind of looked up some box scores uh, from his uh, team in Columbia. He, he was more or less used as a second striker at some point. Uh, but really he was a Teal Bunbury, you know, uh, you know, number nine player where he was getting the chances and he was finishing them. So I wouldn't say he was a holdup guy by any means. If anything, the fewer touches he had, it seemed like the better, uh, according to his highlight rules and, and everything that I could tell. So, um, the way he's being used right now with the revs where he is, uh, controlling the ball and kind of, you know, looking to, to pass the ball. Um, you, you don't see that a whole lot on his, um, highlight films on YouTube or wherever on the internet, uh, from Columbia. So, um, he is playing a little bit of a, a different role and I, I would like to see him shoot a little bit more. So Sean, any thoughts? No, I, I'm with you. And I think his, his stats kind of show that he's a goal scorer. Um, but the, the one thing I'll say in watching all those highlights, like, like you did, he seems kind of like a, a Fox in a box type striker with, you know, opportunities, um, to, to clean up second balls or, um, you know, to get in the box and, and, and finish quickly. Um, with that said, the, the chance he had, I forget, what was it, you know, last week or the week before, um, where the ball dropped to him in the box and, you know, he was wide open but took too long and, and kind of let the chance go by. That was the type of chance that I thought Juan Caicedo would bury, you know, nine times out of ten. And I thought that's why he was brought in um, to, to bury chances like that. Uh, so to see him take that one that poorly and, and, and wait too long and not just shoot right away, like, like James said, why won't he just shoot? Um, you know, that was a bit troubling. Again, he's he's early. It's early on in his tenure here. Um, you know, maybe he wasn't 100 percent ready for that. Um, but those are the type of chances where if you know he gets them. Uh, frequently going forward and isn't putting them away. Um, you know, you have to wonder what's going on because based on his highlights, I think that's the type of player you expected from him. You know, he he isn't the fastest guy on the pitch. He isn't going to create his own chances. Um, I don't think he's necessarily the best hold-up guy. Um, but, you know, he, you expect him to be a good finisher based on based on the highlights, and he hasn't been that yet. Not that he's had that many chances in those positions. No, and I agree with everything you said. And that one chance you did talk about, that is kind of the chance you you expect him to finish. And he doesn't even get a shot off. Um, and I, I think that's why he was moved back to the bench this week, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, you know, you get a chance like that. If that is your one job and your one specialty, uh, you got to at least get a shot off there. So, um, yeah, hopefully we, we get to see him, you know, get some more chances in the uh, coming weeks and, and uh, see him finish a few goals. But as of right now, I would say the under five goals is looking pretty good. So, um yep. <laughs> Cobb Raft uh, asks us, is Christian Pena back? So I'll go back to what I said earlier. If the Revolution are going to play this formation again and give him the opportunity to play there, I think yes. Um, if they're going to go back to what they used to play and he's going to be stuck on the left wing trying to figure it out with Edgar Castillo, uh, I need to see a lot more before I say he's back. Uh, you know what? I say he's back. Got a goal. Going to get his confidence. I, I think he, he looked like he was having a lot of fun last night. So uh, I, I think he uh, – I don't know. I think he's back. Whether or not he's back as a striker, we'll see. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he might be back in a different role. But I say he's back. I'm a Christian Pena fan. Um, Adam McLean says uh, a couple of thoughts. Um, our first official shot on goal for the Revolution Strikers of the Year. Uh, congrats to Teal Bunbury. Uh, love Pena in a two-striker role, especially if it's the Pena that showed up uh, tonight. Uh, JFC has a pretty good touch, but is so slow. Uh, and also the weekly WTF Agadello. Why is he playing? That is a that is a segment that we've that has been recurring throughout the season. Uh, why did we resign Juan Agadello? Uh, I, I will say this has been one of the more positive. Why did we resign Juan Agadello weeks? Because I have some positive things to say about him. Uh, uh, but yeah, yeah. Sean, any thoughts on uh, those comments? 
Yeah, um, so I, I you know agree with the the Pineal one. Um, <laughs> I can't get too excited over the Revolution's first shot on goal based on what we talked about earlier and how poor of a shot it actually was. Um, I did and- see I did see your tweet where you're like, well, it was a pretty weak shot. Like, yes, it was a it was an official shot, but you know you you really were uh, upset that 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 was your favorite stat. In the that was my favorite stat, and it's terrible that it had to end that way. I was hoping it would end with like a spectacular like 35 yard strike into the upper 90 as opposed to ending with a weak shot on the doorstep that was right at the goalkeeper. Um, my, my only other thought on, on these comments is as far as, you know, JFC goes, I think he does sometimes have a good touch, but other times he takes two touches that look good. And then his third touch is just terrible. And you wonder what the heck happened. And I think that has to do with his weird running style. But once again, that goes back to, to the, the thought that you don't want him taking three touches. You want him taking one or two touches and then shooting. Um, and that hasn't been the role that he's really had to play for the revolution. Um, and of course, with, with Agodello, I think we've already covered that one pretty well. <laughs> we, we have, as we do every week. Um, I don't have the stat with me. I might come back to it in a little bit. But Matt Doyle, uh, I think it was Matt Doyle, um, tweeted out the exact number of minutes since the last shot by a striker, and it was laugh out loud funny. Um, not that it was surprising to us. Um, I'll try to find it, and I'll give you an update later. But in the meantime, I will ask the next question, Sean. Will Friedel stick with this 11? It wasn't pretty, but it's a win. I think it goes back to what we said earlier. If this is the formation um... – He'll be close to this 11, but I think we'll probably see Pania come in for Fagundes, and we may or may not see somebody come in for Agudelo. I'm not sure who that would necessarily be if Pania is playing up top. Or, you know, maybe they just switch things up and it's, you know, Fagundes playing in the midfield and, and Pania up top. But my my guess is if if we see the same formation again, it will be Pania. Um, you know, Montreal is another team that, that doesn't have a lot of possession, but they are a very different team. Uh, than the, the Red Bulls. I think they, they try to attack going forward, and it's, it's going to be less of one of those you know high-press games that the Revolution has to play against like they did against the Red Bulls. Um, so I, I expect the game to play out very differently. Um, so it's hard for me to say whether or not Friedel is going to take that and go back to their old formation or stick with us again. But if they stick with us again, I think we maybe only see one change, and that's Pania coming in for Fagundes. If they don't stick with us again, I think we'll you know probably see a bit more changes and maybe Dewan Jones even gets back out there. Um, but nothing would surprise me at this point. And, you know, again, it's on very short rest, so maybe we do see a lot of rotation and maybe we see a lot more guys than we're thinking uh, get switched up. Maybe we see Caicedo go back, Juan Caicedo go back out there because, you know, he didn't see as many minutes in this game and, you know, in theory should be ready to go more in the next game. Um, This is a very hard one for me to predict. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, and, and I think the short rest also adds another component. Usually Brad Friedel sticks with his 11 uh, after a win. Um, I, I think the back line will probably see something similar. I, I think we'll see the same formation, um, but I do think we might see some rotation. I think you know, there might be a situation where maybe Caldwell comes out and they put in, uh, I don't know, Fagundes on the left or something like that. Um, yeah, maybe they take out Teal Bunbury and they put in Caicedo too. I also wouldn't be shocked to see Brian Wright uh, get a spot start and come out 60 minutes in um, just because I, I think they called him up for a reason. I, I don't think they called him up just to be a backup. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but yeah, overall, um, I, I think we will see at least one change, as you said. Um, I wouldn't be shocked to see three or four changes uh, and, and kind of have a, a starting lineup uh, go out there for 45 minutes, 55 minutes, um, and then see, you know, two or three quick subs around the 60 minute mark um, just to bring in kind of the more talented players that you might want to give some rest to. Yeah. Here, um, here's so. one, here's one thought I had and I just thrown this out there. You know, Castillo has missed a few games now with injury. He's 32 years old. He was, you know, per- 
possibly the highest used player in this game. Is there any chance that you know Frito on short rest, knowing Castillo is just coming off of an injury and has been out for a while, um, even though he was you know arguably their best player this last game, uh, puts Brandon By out there to to kind of save the old legs? No, I agree. I, I agree 100%. And not only do you have, you know, a game Wednesday, you have another game three days after that at Kansas City. Uh, so uh, there is going to be some some minute management here uh, for Brad Friedel. I'm curious to see how he plays it. Um, overall, though, I, I think he's going to go for three points here because I, I don't think he can expect many results <laughs> against Sporting Kansas City. They seem to be pretty mad losing to uh, San Jose. So um, I, I think you have to go for three points here. So So I'm leaning towards... You know, not seeing a whole lot of changes and not not seeing too too much uh, you know rotation, but um, who knows with Bradford? I, I think they they might put Christian Pena and, and Wong Kai to win up top and and uh, bring in Bunbury and, and Fagundes off the bench, for example. We'll, we'll, I'm not entirely sure what they'll do, but uh, I, I think there's got to be something up this sleeve. I, I'd be very surprised to see the exact same starting eleven um, go out there Wednesday. So. Um, also, by the way, while I, I am thinking about it, uh, the exact number of minutes without a shot on goal by a Revs uh, striker, 600, 685 minutes. That is 11 and a half hours, just about. Um, also, the Revs went 281 minutes without a goal this year. So just some other uh, stats to uh, make you toss and turn. Pretty terrible. Uh, <laughs> trying to sleep tonight. Uh, also having a terrible night was the PA announcer, in case you didn't get the reference at the top of the show. Uh, James Downing says, why did the PA announce the lineup uh, to Jesse March's New England Red Bulls? Uh, and how could the announced attendance be over 14,000 even with tickets distributed? Um, I, I mean, everyone has a bad first day, so we got to give the PA announcer a little bit of a break. Uh, I actually don't mind the New England Red Bulls too much because sometimes you just say something, you know, you're, you're, you know, the mind says one thing and the mouth says another thing. Uh, but the uh, Jesse March botch is pretty bad. He's been gone for a while. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to give the PA announcer the, the benefit of the doubt that that was maybe just a name left on a, a sheet somewhere. And, and that was someone higher up that was, uh, that was at fault for that one. But that is embarrassing. The Jesse Marsh is, is a, a bad, uh, bad line. So, and, and if you believe some rumors by ESPN, that was two Red Bull coaches ago. So, uh, <laughs> depending on when you're listening to this podcast. So, uh, yeah, that, that's a bit embarrassing. Yeah, that that was not a good look. Uh, but but may, maybe it was just some like high level trolling that we didn't didn't fully comprehend, and the, you know the revolution backed up with the win. So if that maybe maybe we're not giving them the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah, I mean it would be really hilarious if they. I mean there were some Terry Henry rumors early uh, uh, last week. That would have been some great trolling if they called it Terry Henry's uh, New England Red Bulls. Uh, but no, no Jesse Marsh. Um, the fourteen thousand uh, tickets though, I I, I think that's. A fair number considering ticket tickets distributed there there's obviously a number of season ticket holders i also think too that yesterday was like youth night or something like that so i'm sure they gave out a ton of tickets so very few of which that were number used. actually doesn't sorry <laughs> very few of which were actually used <laughs> oh yeah i mean that's definitely not the attendance that was there last night i'm not i'm not you know saying that but but every team uses tickets distributed or, or tickets purchased or, or whatever so i actually a lot of people were making fun of that number that was total bs that actually doesn't surprise me at all what I will say here is a lot of times you'll go to the game and the attendance will look like it's maybe 10K and it gets announced as 14K. Um, and, you know, it's because they're using tickets distributed and, you know, I, I get it. Um, like you said, though, this was a rainy game. The attendance was, 
you know, to me, this did not look like 10,000. This looked like more like 1,000 or maybe if I'm being generous, 4,000 in the stands. Um, so I get why people were making fun of that number. Um, but I also can, you know, if this was a youth soccer night and, uh, you know, with season ticket holders that didn't show up, maybe they distributed 14,000 tickets. Uh, there was nowhere near that number in the stands. There was, you know, less than half of that in the stands from, from, from what I could tell. Um, and from, you know, you know, I think everyone would, <laughs> who, who saw this game, uh, thought that number was laughable, but you know, if it's tickets distributed and they gave away a lot of tickets and they sold a lot of tickets at discounts to youth teams and all of those things, and maybe there were 14,000 tickets distributed. Um, but you know, I totally get why you'd make fun of that number when you saw what was in the stands and then saw that number. I also wanted to what the attendance would have been, um, if there was good weather, because I'm sure a lot of people were scared off from the uh, rainy weather and whatnot. But I mean, this you know, you see a lot of people online say they're gonna skip out on the next game, and a lot well, of people yeah. are really unhappy with the form. And Atlanta really took it to them last week. So I, I'm curious to see how many more fans would have showed up if it was good weather. And there were at least a couple of fans, you know, longtime fans of the team that stayed in the parking lot and tailgated the whole match because of how disappointed they were with how the season has gone. So uh, those are guys that presumably had tickets to the game that, that didn't use them. Um, but, you know, there were, I think there was a, a lot of combination of factors. The Revolution have been playing really poorly. People are fed up. Um, and the weather that contributed to this being a, a poorly attended match. Mm-hmm. Um, Randy asks us, I didn't get a chance to watch the game. Do we play like something has changed in our culture, tactics, strategy, or did we get lucky against a bad team? Uh, probably more of the second one, wouldn't you say, Sean? Yeah, there's nothing from this game that has me convinced that anything has has really changed um, other than it was a pretty good defensive performance. Again, this has been a Red Bulls team that, you know, as good as they were last year, have been really bad this year. And, you know, Kaku has been one of their best players. He was out for this game. Um, you know, Bradley Wright Phillips, I don't, has Bradley Wright Phillips scored this year? If he has, he has maybe one goal. So he's not, you know, he's been a guy that hasn't really gotten on track yet. Um, but, you know, I do think this is more the, the revolution in Red Bulls. Um, when they play each other, it's almost always a not very pretty game to watch. Um, and, you know, this was that, and the revolution ended up being the, the better of the two teams in this, in this night. Um, but a lot of those same problems we saw, you know, were there. And again, there are the positives that we mentioned. Luis Caicedo was good. The defense was good. But, you know, again, I think this is more the Red Bulls are poor and the revolution uh, were the better team in the night. But I don't think anything has shifted dramatically culturally, or at least not from, you know, what we could tell in this one game. Yeah, unless their strategy is to uh, play teams that are in total disarray where the coach has lost the locker room and their best player is uh, suspended for blasting a ball into the front row of uh, stands on a rainy night at home. Um, they really didn't. There wasn't anything uh, different that I think we can um, pick up as a, a positive. They did get the three points, but um, even the one goal, as we say, you know, was right at the keeper. You know, at least it was on frame, which is a lot better, but they still seem to be grinding. Um, I do think there might be a positive that a result can turn around and, and might uh, carry on into um, Wednesday against Montreal, who might be missing Piatti. Uh, so, so there might be some positives going forward uh, and there might be some momentum built. Um, but in terms of culture, tactics, strategy, these guys still look like they're playing scared. So um, I, I think it's certainly more that um, we got lucky that Robles missed a save uh, and our uh, poor finishing did not hurt us yesterday. So um, carrying over into the next question, Paulo S. asks us, with this loss, are the Red Bulls in serious trouble for 2019? I, I think 100% they're in trouble. I, I, you know, Obviously, when your coach is getting <laughs> talked about getting fired this quickly into the season, it sounds like some players already want out uh, uh, when the transfer window opens up. Um, it kind of strikes me a lot of like Toronto last year where they had a really, really positive season. The previous season, uh, they kind of take things for granted and it's kind of spiraled downhill really, really quickly. And they're going to get themselves into a spot where they can't 
can't get back up to that uh, playoff line. So I, I think they're in serious trouble going forward. Yeah, and I've been saying for a long time, and I've been consistently proven wrong, uh, that, that the Red Bulls are, are play, play a lot better than the sum of their parts, um, and that the roster on the Rebels actually isn't as good as their record would suggest. Um, and, you know, maybe this year, maybe maybe I haven't been completely wrong this year. It's finally catching up to them. Uh, but, you know, they lost Tyler Adams. That was a, a huge loss for them. Um, you know, they've lost other pieces like Rulian Colon. Uh, you know, Bradley Wright Phillips is 34 years old now. Um, you know, Jesse Marshall is a fantastic coach. Chris Armas did a decent job carrying that over for, for the rest of the last season, but they've, they've lost some pieces that, you know, have been good players for this team and have been significant pieces to this team. Um, and I think it's catching up to them. And, and again, Bradley Wright Phillips is not getting any younger. Um, so yeah, I think the rebels are in serious trouble when you see a guy like Kaku, who's you know got to be the, you know, the key man for this team, uh, losing his head and kicking a ball into the crowd like he did last week. And, you know, so far he's only gotten one game suspension for that, I think, which is a little bit shocking to me. Um, but you know, they're in complete disarray and they, they should be worried and, you know, just however many games Chris Armas coached last year isn't necessarily enough for me to, to say he's the right man for the job and he can necessarily fill in for Jesse Marsh. He did good continuing that last year, but now that he's had a full preseason, you know, maybe it doesn't look so good. Yep. Uh, Josh Goulet also asked us, th- this question was asked mid game yesterday. So this is pre rumors of Armas uh, getting uh, fired for Terry Henry. Um, should we take Armas if he gets fired? Uh, if Brad Friel doesn't turn things around hypothetically and he is let go, uh, would Armas be a good fit? Uh, Sean, uh, any thoughts on uh, him being uh, Friedel's uh, replacement? Uh, should Friedel uh, get the boot at some point this season or maybe this offseason? It would be a, a disappointing choice um, to me if, if Friedel was to get the boot if they were to replace him with Chris Armas. For, you know, for a few reasons, Chris Armas obviously not extremely experienced. Um, he did have success as an assistant coach for the Rebels for many years and had success um, when he took over halfway through last season. Uh, but, you know, you, you have to look at how the Red Bulls have played when Chris Armas has been in the assistant, and it's been all about the high press. And they've done very well with the high press. But I think when the Revolution move on from Friedel, when and if they move on from Friedel, you know, they need to go in a different direction than the high press. Um, so for that reason, you know, along with the fact that he's really not that experienced, um, it would be pretty disappointing to me if that was the direction the Revolution went in, um, you know, when and if they move on from Brad Friedel. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, I'd be very, very disappointed. Um, you know, he, he hasn't done very well in his short tenure with the the Red Bulls. He took over a really, really solid situation. Uh, and it seems like, you know, in less than a year, uh, they're already kind of trending towards the bottom of the Eastern Conference. There is still time to turn around. But as we say, I, I think they're in some trouble. And I think that makes Armas a really, really, uh, really, really uh, near the top of the list of uh, of uh, coaches that are on the heights hot seat. Even, even if the Terry Henry rumor are not true uh i don't think the red bull management is going to be accepting of a, a team sitting in last place uh, and I, I think there are a lot of coaches that would want to coach that roster so to bring in uh, armis with a weaker roster i i don't think is a uh, really really good fit I, I don't think he's shown tactically uh he, he's a great manager and uh yeah I, i'd rather take uh, my chance with another unknown who who might have a little bit more patience and want to build up a team uh looking forward and coach some youth talent as opposed to armis armis kind of reminds me of like a Bruce Arena type coach that, you know, if you have a really, really talented roster, maybe he can, you know, make those choices. But he doesn't seem like a coach that I'd want to work on a rebuild. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, that's a hard pass for me as well, um, even if he is available, uh, assuming at the end of the season or whatever. I, I think I'd rather have Brad Friedel than Chris Arms at this point. That's saying a lot, considering uh, a lot of fans thoughts on Brad Friedel. But um, 
Anyway, uh, catching up on some news of the week, uh, I, I just wanted to point out really quickly, there was an article about Miles Robinson, who we talked about last week, uh, about the revolution not securing him as a homegrown prospect. Um, there is an article about him on MLSsoccer.com, uh, and just as a follow-up note, it was not in the article, but the author asked Miles Robinson uh, if the revolution ever contacted him to be a part of the academy and he said yes but he was uh he felt loyal to stay with the boston bolts uh youth team which says a lot about the revolution academy that they can't even secure the best uh, prospects in their uh region um sean i don't know if you have any thoughts on that but i was not shocked one bit by that uh, by that comment yeah so I, I will say that i don't have the the most insight into the the local youth clubs as i would like to but the bolts are obviously a very successful um you know youth development team they've you know, produced guys like charlie davies chris tyranny jay heaps you know fagunda's even played for them a little bit um you know charlie rugg miles robertson obviously a lot of guys have had had success uh coming out of that team um you know the other thing i'll add too is that miles robinson is from arlington um growing up in arlington it's not the easiest to get to to Foxborough if that's where you need to go to go train for the Revolution Academy. So you know there's some convenience factor in there too, where if you're you know already part of the Bolt system and the Revolution come calling and you see all these professional guys that you know, have played for the Bolts and been really successful, and, you know perhaps you know the Bolts have a lot, obviously a lot longer history, but you can make the case there's been more successful pros out of the Bolts than there have out of the Revolution. Uh, weighing all that and then weighing in driving from Arlington to, to Foxborough. Um, it's not that surprising. And then from what I've heard from other people that are more in tune with the, you know, the, the, the local youth scene, um, there is really a lot of loyalty to the Bulls. And there is, uh, you know, very hesitant for a lot of guys that play for the Bulls to ever go for the Revolution Academy. Um, and, you know, again, we should note that, you know, when you play for the Revolution Academy, the Revolution have your rights and they're going to sign you. And, you know, if you play for the Bolts, uh, you're available to other MLS teams. And maybe right now playing for the Revolution isn't the most attractive option. Yeah, all, all very interesting thoughts. And I don't know if this is the person you were thinking of, but I noticed Jonathan Siegel uh, publicly commented on Twitter uh, that he wasn't shocked by those comments by Miles Robinson at all for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned. So, um, And I, I think if there's anyone that would know the dynamics of the you know youth scene and the Boston Bolts and how they compare to the Revolution Academy, it would be Jonathan Siegel. Uh, so, uh, yeah, they're, they're – I think it's a surprise to someone like me who, who kind of looks at it casually as how can the Revs not secure the best prospects in their region. But um, apparently there is a lot of competition uh, between the Bolts uh, and the Revs uh, Academy. So very, very interesting stuff. And uh, it makes you wonder if the Revs are going to miss out on any other prospects in the near future. Because as you say, maybe it is more attractive to play for the Bolts uh, as opposed to the Revs. Um, one other note, too, we've we've talked about it a couple times. Brian Wright called up from uh, Birmingham, uh, played four games. I believe he had one goal, one assist. Uh, and if you are a fan of uh, uh, reading Twitter comments to see uh, uh, kind of the reaction from from local fans on how well he played, uh, it looks like Birmingham fans really were. A, a, he was a fan favorite. He seemed to be uh, really popular among those uh, fans down there in their first year. So um, Brian Wright obviously kind of did some, uh, you know, impressing, impressing at the USL level. Um, didn't get any minutes yesterday, but I believe he, we're going to see him. A couple times over the next few weeks, Sean, I, I know that there's a bolt schedule uh, throughout May, so I, I think he will get some minutes uh, going forward uh, as a striker. Um, any other thoughts on, on Brian White? Right, Sean? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you call him back up for the stretch unless he's going to get some minutes, even if it's just, you know, maybe a start against Chelsea. Um, but the other, you know, interesting note about Birmingham is, is Hervu. It looked like he played the number 10 role Um for them in their last game i obviously didn't see it and they were you know shut out in a zero zero draw but it looked like he was playing as more of the the attacking central midfielder and maybe a four three three um which isn't what we're used to seeing him play 
Well, if you remember, Sean, he was above Lee Wynn uh, uh, at the 10 role. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot year. about that. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, but there's Diego Fernandez, Zach Carabo, and then Lee Wynn um, in terms of like the depth chart of uh, of 10 players. So, so yeah, I, I mean, uh, it's good to see him get some experience there. I know he played the 10 role in the Open Cup game, or at least he played a, a similar position. I don't remember if it was exactly a, an attacking midfield role or if it was more central midfield. Um, but he kind of struggled a little bit there uh, against Louisville, uh, who's obviously the one of the top tiers in the USL. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, I, I'm a little surprised he didn't get called up too because I feel like central midfield is a little bit thinner as opposed to up top where you have multiple options, Fagundes, Munbury, Agadello, uh, JFC, uh, 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 now Pania, apparently. Um, so, but Brian Wright getting called up, uh, for this kind of block of games. Uh, I, am excited to see him. Uh, and I think too, we talked about how, you know, Hervo and Wright were sent to Birmingham because this might be a last chance to impress, to see if they have uh, a spot on the team next year. And I think the fact that Brian Wright is getting called up already one month in, uh, is a really, really promising site that, uh, he might have secured his spot for 2020, which is positive. I'm a we're a pro Brian Wright podcast, I believe. I don't know your your thoughts, Sean, but uh, I'm a big Brian Wright fan. So if I was uh, a gambling man, I still wouldn't count on him being on the roster next year. Ooh, ooh. Okay, okay. Well, okay. Maybe we'll put. Maybe we'll talk side bet. I think we might have to do a side <laughs> bet because you you said specifically or you, if you were a gambling man. So I might I might take you up on that. I'll think of something. Um, Sean, do you have any uh, final thoughts uh, to end the podcast? I mean, I'm just very excited that uh, my Spurs are in the Champions League semifinal for the first time since the 60s. So go Spurs. Yep. Yep. Congratulations uh, to you guys as well. Um, Also, I should congratulate you, too, because we ran a poll on who had the better marathon team and you won, I think, 62 percent of the vote, which, uh, to be honest with you, I'm not surprised with. Uh, I messed up not picking uh, Luis Caicedo there. I took Diego over him. I think Luis Caicedo would be a great marathon runner. I'm actually surprised he went eighth. I think I, you know, that's more on me than you. We both slept Uh, on that one. Oof, oof, yeah, I don't know how I missed that one, but um, also want to touch upon the jerseys yesterday, the light blue jerseys. I'm a big fan. Uh, I, I, they were a lot better than the uh, recyclable black jerseys they had last year or two seasons ago, I, I think they played with. Really big fan of the light blues. Hope they bring it back. Um, and because, as as Paul Gerard mentioned last week, have we ever thought about being a Bruins podcast? I also want to say good luck to the Bruins. Game 7 Tuesday night. Um, Got to keep it going. Um, I Sometimes I feel bad for Toronto. They haven't won a playoff series since 2004 before the Red Sox won their first World Series. Um, I, I do have a couple of friends in Toronto that I always feel bad for, uh, but it's it's kind of just funny at this point. So let's keep it going with the Bruins. Um, yeah, really excited to uh, – and the Celtics. And the Celtics. Everything coming up Boston, finally, for once in our lives. This this was a great sports weekend. Ugh. And the Red Sox swept against the Rays of all teams. They take two out of four against the Orioles last week. Looks gloom and doom, and then they win three at the Trop. Wonderful. Wonderful. Everything's great. Everything, good weather. Well, at least in Philly, not in New England. Sorry, guys. But everything else for, for New England was great this weekend. So um, I will say we do have one more Twitter question, and I, 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 I'm going to pitch this out to our listeners. Uh, but James Downing asked us, are we getting a midweek pod, most importantly? That was his most important question, of course. Thank you, James. Um, I will say this. We typically don't do one because the only time we can really record podcasts are Sunday night. But, uh, you know, I'm a very generous person. I I think I can make time to do a podcast Thursday night so you guys can get a reaction podcast for Friday morning to end the week perfectly. 
But I'm going to ask a favor of everyone because every week I, I ask for reviews on iTunes or wherever you're listening, but mostly iTunes. I, that's really what I look at most. And we haven't gotten any reviews lately. So basically, like the American I am, I'm, I'm going to bribe you guys. Uh, if we get, I'm going to say five five-star reviews by Wednesday, we will do a midweek podcast, podcast Thursday night. Sean likely will be busy. So I'm going to, I don't even have anyone scheduled, but I promise a podcast Thursday night if we get five five-star reviews on iTunes. I think that's a fair deal. Don't you think, Sean? We're, we're not above lobbying for reviews. <laughs> no, no. This is legal in the world of podcasting. So, you know, I, I'm just say if, if you guys come through for us, we'll come through for you. Um, although I will say it will probably be a, it won't be an hour 10. I know I say this every podcast. Sean, we said before this, this was going to be a short podcast. I, I thought this was going to be like 50 minutes. about an hour 11. So I'm sorry. I know. I know. I, I still don't think Carl's ever coming on after our two hour podcast. But anyway, um, you, Sean, you did final thoughts. Spurs, go Spurs. Eh, I'm not as pumped about that as you. <laughs> but um, yeah. Yeah, I think that wraps us up. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap and like the Revolution Recap page on Facebook. Please leave a review on iTunes. Five by Wednesday. Five by Wednesday. That shouldn't be hard. I mean, there's really that's really just that's really just three people, three of our listeners, giving us a review and then convincing their significant other or like their parents or something to give us a review. Just you know, that's really not hard, guys. Come on. Um, but yeah. Please leave us a review on iTunes. Um, the Revs have their first midweek match of the season uh, next Wednesday, or this Wednesday, I should say, and wrap up their three-game homestand against Montreal. Uh, 7.30 Wednesday. Um, yeah, yeah. Five five-star reviews, guys. Not asking a lot. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening, and go Revs.